The scripture for today is Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, and I'm reading in ESV. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, church, we've been uh, in this series, Lord of All, the last couple of weeks, and and over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some pretty profound things about the Christian faith. Um, in week one, we looked at one of the great doctrines of our faith. And the, that doctrine is that Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in our hearts upon salvation. And we reflected on the fact that Jesus has been given authority over all things in heaven and on earth, whether those things are seen or unseen, everything has been put under Jesus as the ultimate authority. And we talked about how that really kind of uh, determines how we should live, knowing that he is the ultimate authority over all things. And we considered how Jesus is Lord of our life from the moment of salvation, but we have to walk out our faith with Jesus for him to become more and more of our lives, our Lord of our lives in this kind of experiential sense. We learn what it means that he is Lord as we walk with him. And then week two last week, I taught through Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, where he prays for spiritual strength to the believers in the church in Ephesus. And really what he's praying for, we said last week, is this kind of experiential Christianity that what is objectively ours at salvation, we would actually experience, that we would lay hold of what is ours and be filled with the fullness of God. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus that those Christians would go from this head knowledge to this heart knowledge, that we would be impacted in our inner being because it's there that causes us to be transformed and to have Jesus actually be Lord over all of our lives. We must be captivated in our inner being. It can't just be knowledge and it can't just be emotion. It's when you capture the whole heart, you turn to a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to examine another profound truth about our faith. And that truth is that upon salvation, we receive a new nature in Jesus Christ. That is a massive truth about our faith. You know, all of us, every single one in this room, every single person in the history of creation since Adam and Eve have been born with a corrupted nature because of sin. And coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not merely a decision to live differently. 
It's not merely a decision kind of like deciding to stop smoking cigarettes. It is like a transition that happens between a caterpillar and a butterfly. We are literally made new by God when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And our old nature, which is corrupt, is put to death and is replaced by this new nature in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you're here this morning and you're exploring faith uh, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you've maybe not heard that before. That following Jesus is more of a decision. It's, it's, it's literally a nature that changes within us. Uh, you know, if you're not really sure what that means, that's okay. If you're new to faith and you're not really sure what that means, that's okay. Because here's the thing. Even Christians who have been walking with Jesus for years, we read and we know, you know, I've been made new in Christ. But we don't fully grasp exactly what that means. It's such a hard thing to grasp. And I want to try and help us grasp it a little bit better this morning. Because to truly understand the new nature that we have received in Christ is deeply helpful in understanding how Jesus' lordship grows in our life, and it is deeply helpful to us in one of our greatest battles that we face as Christians, the battle against sin. You know, this week as I was preparing this message, I was sitting at my desk, and the Lord gave me a vision regarding the perspective that many Christians hold in relation to the fight against sin. He gave me this, this picture of a battlefield. And on this battlefield, there was one side, it was an army that was ill-equipped. They were standing in the open air and they had rickety weapons. And then on the other side was this massive fortification whose walls were incredibly high and were lined with this great army and filled with really strong armaments. And too many Christians have the perspective that the fight against sin is that we're the army with the ill-equipped weapons standing out in the open trying to fight against this great fortification. And gosh, let me know, that's not true in Jesus Christ. You need to flip that image around. We are the army that is upon the great fortification with all of the armaments. It's sin that's out in the open with these ill-equipped weapons. And we are fighting from this place of victory in Jesus Christ, not trying to tear down these walls. No, we stand upon the walls in Jesus. And that's where we fight sin from. But too many people have the perspective of fighting the other Wait, no, Jesus has won that battle for us, and sin will never ultimately overcome us in Christ. And so he just gave me that vision this week. And I think for us to grasp it, we have to grasp the, un the transformation that happens at salvation. For us to be able to live in strength in Jesus and fight against sin as we can, because we need to be transformed in our inner being. We have to understand this in our heart, not just in our mind. And so what I'm going to do today is we're going to go through Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. And as I already said to a couple people this morning, you know, I'm teaching something this morning that if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've already heard. You already know. 
And so I know that this morning, my words, like every single morning, it's no different, but I especially felt it this week, that my words have no power here. That unless the Holy Spirit takes them and speaks to your heart and gives you this new revelation of what this means, nothing will change. And so let's pray that it will change this morning. Heavenly Father, as we talk about incredible things that you have done for us at salvation, Father, we have heard them before if we've been following Jesus for any amount of time. We know them in our heads, but Father, I pray that you would give us a revelation this morning in our hearts, that you would strengthen us in our inner being like we talked about last week so that we can lay hold, grasp these incredible truths in Christ and walk with you from this place of victory in Jesus. Father, may we understand in our inner being what you've done for us. It is magnificent. It is glorious. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 that Rochelle read for us. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Here's, the, here's just a heads up. We're going to be jumping around a lot today. There's a, I, I warned Hannah this week when she was putting the, the slides together. I was like, there's a lot of scriptures this week. I'm sorry in, a, in advance. And so she had a, some extra work to do this week. So we're going to be all over the place. Uh, so if you're in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, basically in this section of Ephesians, Paul is continuing to lay the groundwork for the instructions that he's going to give on how Christians are called to live under Jesus's lordship. That's the focus of Paul for the remainder of the last half of Ephesians. And we talked about this in week one, right? We talked about how before teaching on this is how you are to live, this is how you are to live as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a parent, in all aspects of life under Jesus's lordship, Paul wants us to understand that the essentiality of living that way and it is essential based on God's plan for creation and what he is ultimately doing in Jesus Christ. And so these verses that we're going to look at this morning, they point back to Ephesians 4.1, where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The exhortation in Ephesians 4.17 is exactly the same as the exhortation in Ephesians 4.1, just different language that Paul's using. But I want you to notice this morning that as we go through so many scriptures today, what you're going to see is there's a word that keeps showing up over and over and over again, and that word is walk. I want you to walk in this way. And it is because the Christian life is a walk. It is not knowledge. It is something that we walk out daily that we exercise for the entirety of our lives. And you're going to see that over and over this morning. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So Paul here is making a statement about the human condition apart from Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the change that must occur when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you're going to notice that Paul uses really strong, really strong language here. He doesn't just say, I say to you, no longer walk this way. 
He says, I say to you, and I testify in the Lord. So Paul is very serious about what follows. Right? When we hear the word testify, what comes to mind? We think of a courtroom. Right? We think of a witness being called forward in a courtroom. And when that witness is called forward, they are put under oath that what they are going to say is going to be true. And so they are testifying about what is true about something that they saw or something that they know. And so that's what Paul's saying here. And he adds even more weight to it because he says, I'm not only testifying, but I'm testifying in the Lord. Paul's saying, basically, I'm testifying under the authority of the Lord Jesus. So my words carry weight. And I think his language makes it clear that what follows is not just a mere suggestion, but it is an emphatic demand for the Christian. It means we are expected to walk in a certain way. And so where you see churches or where you see individuals excusing sin like it's no big deal, like you just have to profess the name of Jesus Christ and that's all that matters, that's opposite of what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, listen, if your profession of faith is real, then there will be a progression of growth in your walk with Jesus Christ. You won't start perfect, you won't end perfect, you will stumble along the way, but you will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ if your profession is real. James says it this way, faith without works is dead. What good is a profession if it doesn't lead to works, if it doesn't lead to fruit? It's dead. And so Paul says, we are to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles is usually used just as a general word to describe anyone who is not a Jew. So anyone here this morning who is not of Jewish descent, you are a Gentile. We are all Gentiles, unless you have Jewish descent. Maybe someone here does. But in this case, and in most of Ephesians, Paul's using the word Gentile a little bit more specifically than that. He is using it to refer to the life of an individual that was lived before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying is, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you have faith, then no longer walk the way that you did before you knew Christ. So that begs the question, well, what was wrong with the way that we lived, Paul? What was wrong with the way that we were walking before we knew Jesus? And he gives us the answer back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That sounds like a problem, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. There's that word again. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so here's the profound truth that Paul is stating, that before an individual comes to faith in Jesus Christ, God's word considers them to be a dead man or a dead woman walking. And that is because we walk in sin. Paul says we follow the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The implications of this are so important to grasp. Our world loves moral ambiguity. Our world loves to think what's right for you doesn't necessarily mean it's right for me. 
And there's this whole idea of this good person myth, right? If I'm good enough, then I'll go to heaven. If I'm good enough, then God will accept me. But the reality is that at the core of our human natures, there's a problem that is deeper than doing the right thing. Doing the right thing cannot fix it. There is no moral ambiguity in the Bible. There is no middle ground in the Bible. And this is why the message that you and I carry is so deeply important. There's no gray area when it comes to the eternality of people's lives. The Bible is very clear. Paul says earlier in Ephesians, you are either a child of wrath or a child of God. That is a hard message for people to hear. But that is true. There's no gray area in the middle. You're either in this camp or you're in this camp. You're either walking the path of sin and death or the path of righteousness and life in Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verse 17 to explain how we walk apart from Christ. He says, if you're apart from Christ, you are walking in the futility of your mind. Apart from faith in Christ, our minds are futile, Paul says. What does that mean? Futility, the word that's translated futility in English from the Greek word, it means vanity. It means emptiness. It carries with it this idea of, of being aimless. Like just walking through the woods, not having any purpose, not having any meaning, having no idea of where you're going. This is the picture that Paul's giving us. Life without God, in a very real sense, is meaningless. The book of a the book of Ecclesiastes is all about this, right? Solomon, the richest man in the world. Solomon, who had access to more things than you will ever dream have access to. He says, I tried everything. I tried all of it. I tried women a lot. I tried building all of the things that you could build. I tried gardening. I tried drinking. I tried, like, you name the joy, the supposed joy that there is in the world. Solomon tried it. And at the very end of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 12, what does he say? He says, the end of the matter is this. After all has been heard, after all has been considered, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He is saying, at the end of all things, after trying all that life has to offer, the only thing that matters is a relationship with God. That's it. Everything else is vanity. Everything else is meaningless. And so when Paul is saying, we're walking in the futility of our minds before Christ, here's what I would say he means. Our lives are futile apart from Jesus Christ because we do not obtain what we were created to obtain. We were created for a specific reason. To obtain anything other than that is futile. 
This is the condition that we are all in apart from Christ. Walking in futility. But why do people walk that way? How does that happen? Well, Paul says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And there it is. There's the root problem of all of humanity. There's the root problem that every single one of us was infected with because of sin before coming to know God. We had a hardness of heart. And that hardness of heart produces ignorance in our mind. And it alienates us from God because that ignorance produces this darkened understanding. What does John say? Jesus is light and the light came into the world, but men couldn't see it. Why? Because their minds are dark. They can't see the light. And that's the reality of every person outside of Christ Our hearts are hard. Romans 1, God says, because of hard hearts, because we refuse to acknowledge God and we worship the creature rather than the creator, it says God gives you over to the futility of your mind to do whatever you want to do, what should not be done. That's darkened understanding. That's how we all once walked. That's why we have to have the utmost of mercy for men and women who are walking in the world. That's what I was for 24 years of my life, having no idea. I didn't know any better. But my heart was hard. And the results of a hard heart, Paul says, are in verse 19. They've become callous, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Anybody here play guitar? You're all terrified to put your hands up. It's okay. Don't be scared. Jason, I know you play guitar. You played it this morning. Look at him. You want to? No, I don't think anybody here does. No. Anybody have a garden? Anybody work outside a lot? Yeah. Okay. You ever gotten calluses before on your hands? So you play, so being someone who plays guitar, right? I know what it is to have calluses. From rubbing over the strings, from playing the strings, your fingertips get hard, right? And what happens when you have a callus? You feel less. So the skin becomes hard and you lose feeling. Paul's saying this is what happens. Because of our hardness of heart, we develop this callus and we don't feel the way we should. And that happens because over time we're just rubbing against something. We're, we're, our hands are being irritated. It's friction, Right? We're rubbing up against something that we're not supposed to rub up against. We cause calluses. And there's two results that happen when you have a hardened heart. He says it leads to sensuality. Now, when we hear sensuality, we think like sexuality, and that's not actually what Paul has in mind. When Paul says sensuality here, he means you lack moral restraint. It means to spite proper boundaries. This is what he says in Romans 1, right? They do things that they ought not to have done. That's what happens. Our minds are dark and we do things. We put off restraint. Do you see that anywhere in the world now? It is everywhere. It is everywhere in the world now. Nobody wants boundaries. Nobody wants restraints. I will do what I want to do. It's everywhere. The putting off of rules. The putting off of boundaries. We need them. 
Because we're not the creator, we're the created. And we were created to live a certain way. And when we go outside of that, it hurts us. That's why our world is filled with so much pain. Because people are like, I'm just going to live how I want to live. No, that's not how you were made. And the second thing that it leads to is greediness for impurity. It's just this awful picture of like having a craving for things that are unclean. This is human nature apart from Christ. And it doesn't mean that we are as evil as we could be. Because God still restrains us within that. But our hearts are corrupt. Our natural hearts are corrupt. So after giving this, just you guys are like, is there hope this morning? I come to church for hope. There's an abundance of hope. Ephesians 4.20, Paul says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. He says, you don't learn about Jesus. You don't come to know the lordship of Jesus by continuing to walk as you did before he saved you. Verse 21, he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's saying, listen, assuming that your salvation is true, that you know Christ, that you learn Christ, put off your old self, put off the old things. That belongs to who you used to be. That belongs to your old nature. That's how you used to walk as a Gentile in the flesh, but you are not that anymore. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self that is available to you in Jesus Christ that has been created after the likeness of God and walk in righteousness and walk in holiness that has been given to you. That's what happens at salvation. And here's where we're getting to the cross section of this entire series that what is true of a Christian at salvation must be laid hold of and must be lived out. Jesus is Lord positionally, yes, at salvation, but we must experience it. We must grow in the knowledge of it. Christ dwells in our hearts objectively, as we talked about last week, yes, but we must lay hold of it and we must know it in the inner being. We have a new nature in Jesus Christ but you have to put it on. He's talking about experiential Christianity. So I want to try and help us understand what it means to put on this new life. And I was originally going to try and do it all today, and that's not happening. So this is a two-parter, or else we'd be here till 12, which I'm okay with. I may be a puddle up here by then, though. Uh, And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the new life in Christ. I want to start by talking about what does God do for us at salvation. And then next week we'll talk about what happens after that. So at salvation, there are several things that happen to us. Get that, okay? There are several things that happen to us. Because God does them, we have no part in them. The first thing that God does is we are regenerated. Some of you may like the word renewed. doesn't matter. It's the same thing. We are regenerated. We are renewed in Christ. Titus 3.5, Paul says, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is the first thing God does at salvation. He regenerates us. He renews us, not by works done in our own righteousness, because we had none, but, but God does them as a gift for us, as his mercy. He washes us new. He washes us clean. And what this means, what regeneration is, is it's an impartation of this new life that we're talking about. We get this new nature. We get this new self that comes from Christ. Jesus says it this way in John 3, you must be born again. That's what Jesus does. And then the second thing that happens is we are justified. We are renewed, we are regenerated, and then we are justified. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified means that God has declared you are now innocent before me. You are now righteous in my eyes. This is a legal term. It is a judgment that God brings down upon our life and says you are innocent because of what Jesus has done for you because he took what you deserved on the cross, so you are acquitted for your crimes of sin because Jesus already paid that price for you and you cannot be charged twice with the same crime. So he took our punishment for our crimes. You are righteous. It's the second thing that God does at salvation. The third thing that he does, we are adopted. We become members of God's family. Ephesians 1.5, Paul says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So he brings us into his family. And with that, we inherit all the rights of a child of God. Arya, Micah, Judah, Shia, they have all of the rights as my children. Whatever is mine is theirs. I give them all that they need. And that's what God does for us. He brings us and he says, you are my child and I will provide for you all that you need. And now all of those promises that you see in my word are yours. That's incredible. We become heirs with Christ as children of God. These things happen at salvation by no work of our own. And there's a fourth thing that happens at salvation. The fourth thing God does is he sanctifies us. This one's a little bit different than the other three because it happened to us at salvation, but it is also an ongoing process that requires our participation throughout our life as we walk with Christ. And so the first three are done. They are done. We are regenerated, we are justified, and we are adopted. Finished at salvation. Meanwhile, sanctification is done and ongoing because it happens in stages. And the process of sanctification is tied very closely to what Paul is saying here about putting on the new self, walking in the new way. And so, 
I want to go through the stages of sanctification with you. We're going to look at just the first stage this morning and the other two next week. I've just broken it into three for simplicity. Okay, so the first stage of sanctification is that we are sanctified at salvation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, as such, or such were some of you. So he said, you, you used to be this way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So sanctification was initiated and occurred at salvation. But what does that mean? It means that God made us holy. It means that at salvation, we were set apart and positionally holy before God. He did that, not us. So a quick way to think through this, regeneration, we're made new. Justification, we're made righteous. Sanctification, we're made holy. See, when you and I were born, we were born into what Paul calls the old self. We were born into a nature that was corrupt. And it was corrupt because we inherited Adam's sinful nature. David says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. It didn't mean that his mother sinned. It meant that he was brought forth like all of us in sin because we all follow down from the line of, of Adam. And so we are born sinful. Paul says we were in Adam. We belonged to that family in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And he says, for as in Adam, all die because of sin. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, and so death now spread to all men because all sin. So death came into the world through one man, through Adam, and because we are all in Adam, it spread to all of us, and all of us have sinned. And this nature, this corrupt nature that we inherited from Adam, it has this tendency, it has this disposition towards sin, but it is not a disposition that we could fight because it is one to which we were enslaved. We could not free ourselves. Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. All of us were enslaved to sin. We had no ability to live for God in our lives. Ephesians 2, 3, we already talked about it, and we were by nature coming from our mother's room, by nature children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. The verdict came down and God said, all have sinned, all have fallen short. So what happened at salvation? Well, one of the incredible things about our faith is that Jesus not only died for our sins, but scripture actually says, Jesus died to sin. That's different. Look at Romans 6, 9 to 10. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So at salvation, our old self that was in Adam was crucified and died with Christ so that we go from being in Adam to now in Christ. And if we go from being in Adam to in Christ, then if he died to sin, that means that we died to sin as well. This is huge, church, what he did for us. Not just dying for our sins, he died to sin, so you are dead to sin. Romans 6.6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. At salvation, our old self was crucified. It was killed. That self that was enslaved to sin is dead, meaning we are dead to sin. Romans 6.2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I want to share with you an explanation from a pastor that I follow named Ray, Ray Dirksen. This is how he explains this. He says, death, Christ died, we died to sin. Death is the end of a relationship. It is not the end of existence. That is so important again. Death is the end of a relationship. It is not the end of existence. So when we died, our relationship to sin, it being our master, us being enslaved to it, that relationship ended forever in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. The relationship is over. But sin is still alive. It can no longer enslave us Romans 6.14, sin no longer has dominion over you, Paul says, when you are under the grace of Jesus Christ, but sin is still alive. Sin still has power, though it does not have dominion. That's a big difference. That's what God did at salvation. So Paul says, put on this new self that is no longer alive to sin, but is dead to it. What Paul's saying is, listen, follower of Jesus, you have a new self in Christ. It's yours. You have to put it on. He's using the language of clothing here. He's saying, put off, put on. It's the same way as saying, walk in a manner worthy. No longer walk this way. And it's because in sanctification, we must partner with God. God has done the initial work, but we must partner with Him to continue to do that work. Put it on. Here's Paul's point. Here's my point to end with this. You have a new nature in Christ. You have been born again. So put off the old self. Put off the old way of walking because it is completely in opposition to who you truly are now. When you walk in sin, 
You are walking contrary to your nature. Instead, put on the new self. Put on the new nature. Walk in a manner worthy because that is who you are in Jesus Christ. It is who you have been made to be by Jesus. God says, Ephesians 10, 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. And there's that, there's that word again, that we should walk. So next week, I'm going to talk more about this new self. I'm going to talk more about what does it mean to put it on? How does that relate to this ongoing sanctification that we're living under? How does it relate to this ongoing struggle that we have with sin and coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ and not giving over to sin? I'll tell you now, it's not about try harder in yourself. And we'll unpack exactly what that looks like next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. You are wonderful. You are magnificent. Father, everything that we stare into this morning that we talk about is because of your mercy, because of your love for us. And we sit here, I stand here in awe of you. We cannot comprehend the depths of our sinfulness. We cannot comprehend the harm that we do to ourselves through sin. We cannot comprehend how much we have grieved you and yet your response is still moving towards us through Jesus Christ. You never give up on your people. I thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus for us who are sinners. Father, I pray for those here this morning that maybe don't know you. Father, I do pray that they would recognize that there are two ways of living. There's no gray. There is walking in the paths of sin and death and there is walking in the path of righteousness through Christ. And that they would recognize the need for you this morning, Lord. And that they would simply just come before you even now and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I give my life over to you to be Lord. Change me. Give me that new nature that is in Jesus I cannot save myself. I have fallen short. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. I want to walk with you all of my days. And Father, we know that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive. Lord, I pray that people in here this morning would find that forgiveness, would find that new life in Christ. And Father, I pray for the men and women in here who are struggling with sin. We're all struggling with sin, Lord, but there's some who are just feeling so struck down. They believe that they're fighting this war from this place of weakness, and they're not. 
In Jesus' name, we are the ones fighting from the fortification. We are the ones that have the great armaments of God behind us. Sin has been weakened. We are dead to it. And so, Father, may we put on our new self. Walk in righteousness as you have called us to. And we thank you that when we fall and when we fail, your forgiveness is there. Lord, may this truth, oh God, I'm asking through the power of your Holy Spirit that this truth go deep. Root out lies. Root out strongholds. Help us to see what you've done. In Jesus' name.